you can sit there and have some of the best experts in the whole South. If they don't touch on the issue that you want to hear about, you can ask them questions. Uh, and so it's really a good forum for somebody to come and get your questions answered. Hey everyone, welcome to the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. I'm Carl Wiggers, your host, and today I have a great conversation with Brian Bro. He's the Managing Director of the Commodity and Public Policy Department here at Louisiana Farm Bureau. As we'll discuss in this episode, he's been working on labor issues since the 90s, and that has become an, a, a real area of expertise for him and for us here at Louisiana Farm Bureau to be able to really offer our farmers and ranchers a great value in that information and the work that we do here at Louisiana Farm Bureau to fight for Louisiana farmers and businesses to make sure that they have the labor they need to continue to put food on our tables. I hope you enjoy this episode with Brian Bro talking about all things labor in Louisiana on the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. Hey everybody, I am joined now with Mr. Brian Bro. Brian, you you have many titles. One of them is Labor Czar. I don't know if that's an official title, but you are a labor expert here in Louisiana Farm Bureau. What is your actual title? I am the Commodity and Public Policy Managing Director. So I, I manage our department. Got you. And you, in, in that, you also have a lot of commodities and issues. What, what are some of those commodities that you oversee? Sugar, cotton, sweet potatoes, pecans, uh, market produce crops, nursery crops, and labor falls into one of those categories of things I handle. Labor is one of the issues, and it is the issue we're talking about today. Um, but actually, it makes sense that you would oversee that and a lot of those commodities, nursery crops, uh, market produce crops, sugarcane are all very heavily reliant on labor, very labor intensive crops. When did you begin working with labor? Uh, when I came into the commodity division in 1994. Okay. So it's been a couple of years you've been, you've been yep. overseeing this. You've probably, Correct. probably been drinking from a fire hydrant ever since. You started in 94 on labor and you started in the commodity department in 1994. What this labor seminar that we're actually about to talk about started back then, right? How, how, tell Correct. me the history, the background of this, of this labor seminar that we've done in Louisiana now. Uh, well, like I said, when I was uh, on the field staff prior to coming in the commodity division, I would attend. They had started the labor committee maybe about a year before. Most of the issues they talked about were workers' compensation insurance, mostly with grain farmers. Mm. And, it, and it was we were working on those issues. But then when you would talk with other farmers and they said, labor's the most important problem that I have. So in when I first came in, I, I kind of came in with um, with the direction that I wanted to try to address labor in a more comprehensive way than what we currently were. And so we got into it, uh, studied up. We went to Florida, found out that Florida put on a jam up good labor seminar, basically to try to train farmers how to not commit labor violations, which can turn out to be very, very expensive. And so we went over there, we saw the uh, expertise that they brought to their labor seminar and said, you know, we could do one similar over here in Louisiana. And actually we used at the beginning, we used some of their speakers from Florida until I learned the speakers that had equal competency here in Louisiana. Yeah, I'm sure, I know Florida has a very similar uh... I say similar crop mix, but they have sugarcane like we do. They also have a lot of market produce, which we're not, I don't think people think of Louisiana as a market produce kind of state, but 
I know those probably, there was a lot of crossover probably in the labor needs in Florida that, that we had probably here in Louisiana. Correct. We're talking about the labor seminar, the, the Mid-South Ag Labor Seminar. It's going to be this coming in a couple of weeks, honestly, in February 22nd in West Baton Rouge. That's been kind of the home for it for a while. Why, why do we pick West Baton Rouge? Why is that the home for this, this seminar for farmers? I tell you what, it was kind of a trial and error. We used to, when we first started off, we did it in Alexandria. They had a conference center there off MacArthur Drive. Worked really good. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the people that attended had to drive a long distance. So we experimented. We used the West Baton Rouge Conference Center and Tourist Information Bureau that's right off the interstate in uh, Port Allen. And uh, we tried it there. They have a large room called the Plantation Room. And it was a hit. Yeah. Uh, it was perfectly structured where a lot of our attendees are coming from that side of the river. And so uh, it, it just gelled very well. The people at the West Baton Rouge Conference Center can't say anything but nice things. They're, they're fantastic folks. And it's been there ever since. In the 90s when you started this, did you realize, did you, did you know then that it would be something that still in 2023, 2024 would be relevant for Louisiana Farm Bureau and for Louisiana farmers? Absolutely. It, it's, you know, it, there's a little nuance. Every year you've got different challenges, different problems. You have legislation uh, that sometimes, you know, moves and, and changes our, our rules and regulations that change. Uh, but when you start realizing how big a component in a farm operation, like a sugarcane operation, a sweet potato operation, crawfish, now it's getting to the point where everybody is bringing in uh, visa labor. Uh, so it, it, it becomes something, uh, and once you see how well the people that needed to know the information from the farm community interacted with our speakers, you realize that we got a hit here. Yeah. One thing I just learned before we hit record was that I mean, this H-2 program, this ag labor program is not an ancient program. It, it started back in the 80s. Can, we, can you kind of give me some well, of the, the background? The, the last iteration of it occurred after the Bracero program. I think it was in 86 or whatever. We had a program where they tried to address the undocumented population that was in the United States. So that there was a pathway toward legal residency status that was offered, and then they uh, came up with a revised H-2A program uh, to where a farmer that was in that, you know, couldn't fill their job vacancies with domestic workers, had, a, had an avenue to where they could bring in a visa worker to fill those seasonal job vacancies. Mm -hmm. One thing I've heard a lot doing the job I do, and I'm sure you hear it too, is, well, why can't, why can't some, that, that, I don't want that job going to some somebody from outside the country, why, why can't somebody from Louisiana get that job? Why can't Americans get that job? And the reality I'm sure you've seen in the last 35 years is they don't want it, right? Correct. The thing is, the program is actually structured to accommodate that. The thing is, you have to advertise your job vacancy from 90 to 75 days before your date of need. So you, you've got to advertise that job position. And only those jobs, whenever you've met the criteria of the Department of Labor, that they can see you're unable to fill the job position, then it opens up, I, I call it a doggy door, to where they are eligible to bring in a visa worker to fill that seasonal job vacancy. But the thing is, the whole time until half the contract is over with, if any American worker walks up and says, hey, I want that job, it's yours. 
Mm. It's yours. So the thing is, the program is perfectly designed to where it does not take away a job opportunity from an American. Mm -hmm. So if you want the job, you walk up there and, and we've already brought in our H-2A workers and he says, I want to do that job. Hey, it's yours. That's nice. I, I, I didn't I didn't know it was that way. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you seen that? Sure. Much? Sure. Sure. It started in the, the 80s. We started kind of revamping and kind of giving this iteration of H-2A and H-2B labor and people maybe hear those. And I guess we didn't do this beginning, but H-2A is essentially our visa workers on a farm and H-2B are visa workers in a processing facility or plant. Is that that, that's how we use them. But the H-2A a stands for agriculture. So the only thing an H-2A worker can be used for is to working in agriculture for a farm. That's it. Uh, and, and it's for an individual farmer. If you have somebody who's doing contract work for multiple farmers, that's not going to, you know, in, in certain situations you can if you're all on the same H-2A contract. But H-2A is for agriculture. H-2B is actually a broad, unskilled visa program for construction, hotels, ski resorts. And we use H-2B workers in ag processing. Gotcha. So you'll see H-2B workers working at sugar mills. You'll see H-2B workers uh, working at shrimp peeling plants, crawfish peeling plants. So in ag processing, we use H-2Bs because we're, we have a task where we're serving multiple people in agriculture. So we're ineligible for H-2A. We're only eligible for H-2B. The problem with H-2B at the CAP program at 66,000 workers a year. Nationally? Nationally. That's the national number? National. Well, we talked about this. I mean, that's one thing I wanted to actually ask you about were some of the things, the reason this, this workshop, this seminar is relevant year after year is because there's there are constant changes that happen. You know, you mentioned legislation or administration changes or, you know, policy, border policy. And there's obviously a huge deal right now that's a hot topic. Um, but caps are one of those things for H2B workers. And that's, it's a struggle for Louisiana guys and processing it and, and businesses because of the season, the schedule, the times that that door opens, as you said. Tell me about some of that struggle. Well, the, the H-2B program is structured where it has two six-month tranches. 33,000 workers are allocated per six months. And it works It works okay for sugarcane because our, the, our start date is at the very beginning of that six-month tranche. So it's worked better for sugarcane mills to use H-2B workers than it has for, let's say, crawfish peeling plants, where maybe they're not going to start peeling crawfish until the middle part of February or March. Well, they've already halfway into their into their six-month tranche. Well, by then, all of the visas in that six-month tranche have been consumed, and any supplemental visas that are offered many times, they're all consumed, too, before they get an opportunity to get their shot at bat. So that's been the bad part for some processing, such as crawfish. So we might be September with that, that door open, that window opening, and then February by the time that these plants are ready to start peeling crawfish and, and, and all the visas are that gone. door is that door has long been shut probably correct correct and, and and you have no ability to to refrigerate or store that product so the thing is whenever the crawfish are caught they have to be boiled and peeled immediately there's no way to store them mm -hmm. and so that's where it's uh, it's it's pretty a uh, pretty big problem in, in for us in agriculture why do we care if they don't 
process our crawfish, they can't buy our crawfish. So there's a symbiotic relationship between the processor, like the sugar mill. The sugar cane is worthless until it's processed in a sugar. And basically, the crawfish peeling plants purchase a large percentage of our crawfish that are not purchased fresh. And so without those guys purchasing our crawfish to go to the peeling plant, uh, we would have nobody to buy our product. Right. And especially this year where there's uh, maybe fewer product out there with crawfish I'm speaking of. I know uh, that's Andy Brown oversees that commodity, and but I know you're you're well up to date on, on what's going on in the crawfish industry that, I mean, we can't afford plants not to be running because there's the people that are bringing crawfish out of the fields need to find a, they need to have a market for it. Correct. It all, it all flows together. Another issue, and, and I'm bringing these issues up because this is what we're, some of the topics that will be discussed at the seminar, right? What on the caps for H2B labor, what, what are some of the issues and I guess topics around that, that do you have any speakers that are going to be really there to, to speak to those processors, those millers, those folks in that, correct, correct. that world? We're, we're, we're going to have actually one of the attorneys that actually brings in some of the H2B labor uh, will be there uh, as one of our speakers. And then naturally a large portion of the, of the, uh, seminar is going to be dedicated to H2A. Mm-hmm. So for the farmers that are coming, they'll have an opportunity, a forum, an op- a place to ask those questions of attorneys, of, of people in the industry like yourself that, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with X, Y, and Z on this past season. What do I need to know going into next year? Is that kind of what this really is about? Correct. It, 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 this seminar has really been constructed as, a, as basically how to comply with labor laws, how to make us aware of what labor laws exist, because face it, none of us are expert in this, in this wheelhouse. Uh, it, it's, it's a very complex thing. So we bring in attorneys uh, such as Brandon Davis from Phelps Dunbar, who is an old friend. Uh, he's out of the New Orleans office and has really helped the ag community out for years and years. We've got Chelsea Abar from Moss Labor. She's coming in uh, from Moss Labor talking about some of the issues that they they actually are the H-2A agent that brings in H-2A. She's deputy chief counsel. So she's going to be able to tell us the issues that are occurring and what we can maybe do to try to counteract some of the problems, um, circumvent some of the problems. Uh, And then we've got other folks. We've got John Walt Boatwright coming from the American Farm Bureau. He he is in our Washington, D.C. office, and he's He's the guy that handles the lion's share of the labor issues in Washington, D.C. Uh, he is the point guy for us. He's going to come talk about all the different things that are occurring in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've been having a big problem with housing inspections. Whenever you uh, a petition for an H-2A worker, before your application can be processed, you have to prove to the department that you have in housing that has been inspected, and it's up to snuff to have the worker stay there. Well, we've had some delays on housing inspections, uh, and so we're going to have people from Louisiana Workforce Commission come and talk to us and all. They're good friends, been friends for years. Um, So anyhow, we'll have those issues that we'll talk about. So it's pretty safe to say if you have a labor question, this is the room to be in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it it costs $60 to attend that covers your lunch. And uh, you can sit there and have some of the best experts in the whole South 
that that are there speaking. If you if they don't touch on the issue that you want to hear about, you can ask them questions. Uh, and so it's really a good forum for somebody to come and get your questions answered. And we used to pass around seminar evaluations at the end of each seminar. And after a while, it was like every one of them was like, oh, my God, this is great, where you can have all these topics discussed. And then on top of that, I can go to the microphone and ask my specific question to these these people. So it's, it's worked out as a good thing for our farm community. Yeah. One of the things that I love to do in the business I'm in here in the communications department is we kind of are always thinking of how this serves the bigger picture, the Farm Bureau picture that we're we're constantly trying to promote uh, in, in our department, really in all of our, like that's what we do here as state staff is we're promoting Farm Bureau. And you coming from the field services department, you know all about this, but this is a huge value to people in Farm Bureau to be a part of, to look at, or, and even not in Farm Bureau, but it's a value to the ag community, as you said earlier, that it kind of sells itself. Like you put getting yourself in a room full of experts like this, it's hard not to see value in that, right? Correct, correct. And, and you look around at the, the audience, so many of the people that attend are people that have attended for multiple years because they, they, they glean so much good information from the seminar that they can't help but go to every year. Mm-hmm. And, and every time we have somebody that's a new attendee, it's like, what have I been? I should have been coming every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, it, it's really a good uh, space to go and, and get a lot of, lot of issues uh, cleared up in your head. You know, like this year we had a new uh, USDA farm uh, labor stabilization program where they basically would give you grant awards uh, mostly for instead of employing maybe people from Mexico, if you would employ H-2A visa workers from the Central American countries that are kind of crashing our border right now, I guess the government decided maybe if they had an H-2A job, maybe they would be less inclined to cross the border illegally. So you have those programs out there. We're going to have people that are going to talk about that from a legal aspect and explain that the country of Guatemala has had an outreach program for H-2A and H-2B. And they said, look, if you'll go through us, we'll get you workers, H-2A, H-2B, and you won't even need an agent. Mm. So for some of our younger farmers that don't already have a workforce, well, what an excellent program if they could bring people in from Guatemala. We understand Guatemala has more working age people available than Mexico does. Wow. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. And then we're going to talk a little bit about heat illness standard. OSHA has a proposed heat illness standard. And it, it's really, if over 80 degrees, if you're working in over 80 degrees, they, they have a whole protocol of different ways to mitigate heat. And, but when we apply it to Louisiana and I look at a 94 degree day with partial sun and 60% humidity, it shows that I can only work somebody 15 minutes a day and 45 minutes of rest. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We have one of our attorneys that is very well versed on that, and she's going to discuss the standard and also maybe discuss, even though it's not has not been put into place yet, maybe some things you might want to do as a farmer to have ways to mitigate heat exposure for your workers. All right. Because periodically, we, we do have some people that work in the heat. We've had people that have passed away uh, from working in the heat. And, and so we definitely want to do as an ag community everything we can do to try to mitigate heat illness for our workers. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't want to put a number on it, but a huge percentage, I got to believe, of these farmers that are that are depending on these these workers treat them as if they're family. I know a ton of them try and get the same workers back year after year because that's that's a key part of keeping their farm in business. I, I tell you what, there was one time we were uh, talking with Representative Mike Johnson, who is now Speaker Mike Johnson of the House of Representatives. And I had one of my farmers with him, and we were explaining to him, he said, well, what happens when you're working during Christmas? And he says, oh, he says, we start harvesting early. We finish our milk quota up early. And then he said, everybody goes into their housing, showers up, and then everybody comes to our dining room table and eats with our family. And I remember he had a grin from ear to ear, and I and and I said that story is repeated all the way through Louisiana. I said we really take good care of our H two A workers, and it's something that's not told enough. Mm-hmm. Many times somebody wants to find one bad actor that maybe doesn't doesn't act properly, and they look past of all the ninety nine percent of the other people that treat their workers like family because face it, they come here voluntarily. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to decide whether they want to come here on an H two A or an H two B visa every year. If they if they were mistreated, they wouldn't come back. Right. Um, but normally when you see people getting on the bus, there's tears. And so it's it's a real good program. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't really talk about, but I want to just at least touch on it because I know it's a major issue that Louisiana farmers have really been up in arms about. And I know you've worked probably, you probably gained a few gray hairs because of this, but this adverse effect wage rate. And I, I don't want to, we can't really describe the entire thing, but I know it's a, it's, it's a fresh rule. It's a fresh change for these, for H2A, uh, I guess, farmers employing H2A labor. What, I guess, give me the, the Cliff Notes version of what really that, how that changed things for farmers in, in Louisiana. Well, we used to have, what, what it is, is they have an adverse effect wage rate. And what it is, is to make sure that when you bring in visa workers, that it doesn't depress the wages for domestic workers. So they so actually you have to pay a higher wage rate just to make sure that the visa workers you're bringing in don't, don't depress the, the wages for everybody else here in the country. Well, they came up with an H-2A wage rule where previously we paid everyone one one wage. So it was, you know, last year was $13.67. This year is $14.53. And, and the thing is, now we have a wage rule that says, well, if they do certain tasks on the farm, they get paid this wage rate that comes from the USDA wage survey. Now, certain other job tasks, such as if they work as a harvest driver, if they're a supervisor, if they're a farm mechanic or whatever, then you have to go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics Occupational Employment Wage Survey and find out the state wage for that job task and pay them a different wage rate. Mm very confusing what happens you know what happens in in agriculture is everybody does everything they don't they're not they don't do one job mm-hmm. task so it becomes well what happens if you do this job task and then you do this other job task well you have to pay the worker the highest wage rate job that they do and so all of a sudden if somebody drives a truck for one day you could have their wage rate go from 1453 to 2316 an hour. And that's the problem with the H2A wage rule. It kicked in last year and it caused our sugarcane harvest drivers to have to be paid $23.16 an hour, which caused the industry to pay an additional $37 million 
in wages. And that's just sugarcane. Just, just sugarcane, just harvest drivers. Just harvest drivers. So I know it's a huge deal. And, and it also, that, that rule kicked in pretty late in the year last year, right? Like mid-summer? It kicked in March 30th. And, oh. all, and, and so as a result, the American Sugarcane League saw that there was so much impact to the sugar industry mm-hmm. that they filed suit against the department uh, claiming that they basically uh, violated the Administrative Procedures Act because if it costs Louisiana harvest drivers and sugarcane alone $37 million, they said the whole rule didn't cost any more than $100 million. Well, it's pretty obvious the rule costs more than $100 million. Mm-hmm. If you have one crop and one task that's uh, costing $37 million. And then the other thing they alleged was the adverse effect wage rate is supposed to be set to where it does not depress the wages of domestic workers. Well, the thing is, if you're forcing me to pay, you know, $23.16 an hour, you're not just causing me to keep from depressing worker wages. You force me to greatly, greatly increase my wage rate. Mm-hmm. And so those are the, the, the you know, the, the, the pathway of where we're going to hopefully this wage, uh, this this lawsuit uh, will cause the judge uh, to uh, vacate the rule because it, it really was a poorly done rule. And I really can't believe that they imposed the rule last March. Well, then what's crazy about it, the fact that it started in March, farmers have already got their year planned out. They've already got probably they've already got a like a they're starting to work on how many workers do we need to make sure we have in coming September you know, getting ready to harvest and plant, plant and then harvest. And like, there's a, they've already kind of scheduled their year out. And all of a sudden they're like, wait, we have a new set of rules to play with. That's going to change the bottom line dramatically. It's it, it. I remember we had president American Farm Bureau presidents, if you Duvall in town and we're like, this is a, this is a real problem. And we're on sugarcane farms talking about it. And it was, so it's just interesting that that's one of those things that we're still navigating. That's probably going to change a few times. Over yeah, the next few yeah. years. And, and it really hit at the wrong time. I mean, it hit us in the same year where we had a drought. Um, but, you know, um, you know, so we had a lot of farm farms that where their yields were significantly depressed. You know, you look at it like in Vermilion Parish, where some of those farmers had yield losses, most probably in excess of 40 percent. You combine that with now a much higher wage rate they have to pay their harvest drivers whenever their sugar check is going to be much reduced. Not a good thing to happen this year. Um, I guess if there's any good thing about it is it'll the the wages that we had to pay last year for the truckers uh, will be damages, and we'll be able to show the judge uh, more loss that that we sustain losses as a result of this wage rule. So we're hoping that the judge looks on it and, and maybe views us favorably and, and vacates the rule, um, and hopefully we could come up with something better than mm-hmm. what was the H-2A wage rule. Well, you mentioned earlier a big part of what you do is as a uh, in the public policy world is a lot of times you're playing offense and making and fighting for Louisiana farmers and, and programs like related to labor or you know sugarcane or uh, cotton or whatever your commodities may be, labor, of course, but then there's sometimes you're playing defense and you're hoping like we can protect the farmers that we have and the rules that we have. And I know this is one of those spots that's very uh, uh, constantly changing and constantly uh, keeping you on your toes, keeping you, keeping you uh, read up on a lot, of, a lot of issues and a lot of rules that are coming. So thank you for the work you do. Brian, is there anything else we need to know about 
this seminar coming up? Anything the, you want to make sure you promote? Yeah, there's one thing I want everybody to know about. Uh, we just had an election, and our keynote speaker traditionally is our Commissioner of Agriculture, uh, uh, Dr. Mike Strang. This year, Mike was unable to attend, and our keynote speaker for this year is going to be Representative Troy Romero, the new chairman of the House Ag Committee. So uh, I think this will be really good. Actually, Troy has attended this seminar often uh, as, as a turf grass producer. So the thing is, now we'll have him, now that he's been a state representative for a few years, and now he's the chairman of the House Ag Committee. So I think it'd be really good if you were kind of on the fence about whether to come or not, come and meet our new chairman of the House Ag Committee, uh, Representative Char Romero. He'll be speaking at lunch. Thanks again, Brian, for joining me and for all the information and the work that you're doing on labor for Louisiana farmers and businesses. If you would like to learn more about the Mid-South Ag Labor Seminar happening later this month, head over to the links in the show notes. We'll have all the information you need. It is $60 to attend. You can register ahead of the event or at the door, and that cost will help to cover the speakers, but also lunch is provided. So you'll get a great benefit and value, and this is an event you do not want to miss, especially if you have farm labor that comes in and helps get food on our tables. If you find the work Brian Bro is doing valuable to you and you're not already a Farm Bureau member, please consider joining Farm Bureau. You can do that at the links in the show notes as well. That's it for this episode. We'll see you right here again next week on the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast.